Why'd you twist my words? You could have told me what I was from the beginning. Why didn't you? You're a podcaster. I wanted only to protect you from the truth. What? Because binge mode contains adult content? Spoilers? You know it all makes sense now. Why you favored Thor all these years. Because no matter how much you claim to love me, you could never have a podcaster sitting on the throne of Asgard. And now, Binge Mode Marvel. You have betrayed the express command of your king. Through your arrogance and stupidity, you've opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and desolation of war! You are unworthy of these realms, unworthy of your title! You're unworthy! the loved ones you have betrayed. Hello! Yeah! Give me a yeah and a nice British Shakespearean delivery. Which one, as Odin or as Loki? Give me both. Okay, Odin would do it. <laughs> and then, okay, Loki would do. Yes. Wow. That was deeply unnerving. I love it. That's how you would do it. I love That's it. how you would do it. <laughs> and welcome, if you can't tell, to Binge Mode Marvel. <laughs> Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, Editor-in-Chief of TheRinger.com. Oh, what a great website. The best. Joining me today, now that he's emerged from his Odin sleep at last, it's your favorite all-father, Jason Concepcion. Mal, I had to recharge my Odin force because it's time for Binge Mode Marvel where we'll be exploring the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Infinity Saga and the comic book lore that inspired it. As phase four of the MCU approaches, please make the journey to the land of enchantment with us by following this podcast on Spotify or subscribing to wherever you get your podcast. And please rate and review us. Give us the five star ratings or you won't get to have any boilermakers with Dr. Eric Selvig. By the way, while we're in New Mexico, we can go to George R. R. Martin's house and make him write the books. Please. <laughs> Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to attempt to replicate Darcy's missing playlist. Darcy, get it together. I love Darcy. (laughs) (laughs) Team Darcy. If you're looking to catch up on our prior seasons or listen to them again, you can find our entire archive. Binge mode Game of Thrones, binge mode Harry Potter, binge mode Star Wars. Binge Mode Weekly for free, exclusively on Spotify. And don't forget to head to theringer.com slash shop to check out our Binge Mode merch. Your Donald Blake name tag will look great on whichever Binge Mode shirt you choose. Last time on Binge Mode Marvel, we tried to patent badassium while talking about Iron Man 2. My alternate line there was we pissed in our armor while talking about Iron Man 2, but you know, (laughs) seemed a little much. 
And today, we're diving deep. Deep. Into the fourth film of phase one and the first film of the MCU's as Guardian Saga. Thor! As always here on Binge Mode, spoiler warning, we will be going deep on details from this film, all three phases of the MCU to date. Deep! <laughs> and the wider Marvel canon. So keep your eyes peeled for Frost Giants uh-huh. and that pesky casket. Oh, man. Because it's time to head to Jodenheim right after this. Mal, I need a horse. We don't have horses, just podcast mics and recorders. Then give me one of those large enough to ride through the plot points because it's time to offer up a brief refresher on what actually happens in Thor, who's very cut in this movie. Oh, yeah. By By opening the Bifrost and accessing the knowledge of the Nine Realms. After his son Thor leads an unsanctioned attack on Jotunheim, Odin the All-Father casts him out of Asgard, a really intense version of being grounded. You are mean <laughs> and cruel boy! <laughs> and places an enchantment on his hammer, Mjolnir. From now on, only one who is worthy of wielding the hammer may lift it and have the power of Thor. Dr. Jane Foster, Dr. Eric Selvig, and Jane's intern Darcy Lewis are investigating a strange cosmic phenomenon known as an Einstein-Rosen bridge when she hits something or someone with her car. It's Thor. No longer a god, but still and forevermore cut as hell, at least until endgame. They take him to the hospital, and just as they're driving away, Thor's hammer crashes to Earth. You can trace the world tree map on Thor's abs. Those are the real nine realms. Nine pack of my guy. Woo! Also, please take away Jade's license immediately. She should not be allowed behind the wheel. Absolutely not. Ridiculous. Thor and Jane. Over here, their fellow diner patrons talking about an object no one can lift. The hammer and a crater out in the desert. Thor and Jane make their way to the crash site, which is now guarded by S.H.I.E.L.D., half asleep on the job, which we'll get to. I mean, it's just, what are these guys doing? (laughs) Thor just waltzes in there. Coulson and co. have clearly not had enough of the delicious caffeinated beverages that Thor is so fond of. (laughs) Thor, meanwhile, juiced up, fights his way to the hammer, but in a metaphor for men all over, can't get it up. I mean, it happens sometimes. (laughs) On Asgard... Loki confronts his father, Odin. Odin tells him that, listen, sorry about this, but you're actually the child of Laufey, king of the frost giants, and you're basically war booty. Then, absolutely tuckered out from the strain of recent days, Odin just nods off into the Odin sleep mid-sentence while standing on on the steps. Unbelievable stuff. sleep. From the All-Father. <laughs> this is like Odin's version of when the people working from home in quarantine are like, I, t- uh, my internet, I, t- I can't hear you. I have a bad connection. Can we catch up later? Maybe via email? <laughs> I wanted to raise you as my own. <laughs> <laughs> is the Odin sleep 
just a kind of protracted, maybe not so subtle metaphor for the refractory period. It is. I mean, listen, in the comics in the early days, Odin only had to do Odin sleep once a year. Hmm. And the rest of the time, he could just be up doing Odin stuff. Was that also the number of times per year that he was getting it in? (laughs) Tracks. You know, Frigga does seem unhappy. (laughs) I don't imagine that the Allfather is a particularly generous lover. Also, every now and then is just like, uh, you, down on Earth, Yord, can you bear me a son? Frigga won't mind. (laughs) Okay. Heimdall, turn around. I can't wait to talk about the rules of Heimdall's peeping. (laughs) Isaac, carve out 30 minutes for us to talk about that later. While Thor is in shield custody, Loki appears to his brother. And because he is Loki, he lies. Tells Thor that their father Odin is dead. (laughs) When is anybody going to learn with this guy? I know. It's it's really hard to feel too bad for Thor. It's like, (laughs) fool you once, okay. You mean your brother, the god of lies? Is that what we're talking about? (laughs) Loki also mentions, oh yeah, by the way, now I'm king. And as king, he says, he can't allow Thor to return home. Yeah, it's like the treaty and, you know. And your mom doesn't want to see you. Yeah. (laughs) Thor reacts naturally with sadness, but also humility, apologizing for his previous actions. He begins to accept his fate. Selvig in what is maybe the single most amazing scene in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date, talks Thor, mm-hmm. who beat up multiple S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and broke into a top-secret site, talks him out of custody with a known fake ID. They scan it, and they know it's fake. And they let him out. My good friend what? Don. My good friend like, Donald Blake. Yes, my good go. friend Dr. Donald Blake. (laughs) Ask him one medical thing. Anybody. Just anybody ask him one thing about medicine. Or one question about astrophysics. That would also work. Anything. Now, look, just to be clear, we understand what is actually transpiring. Coulson tells his S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to follow Blake and Selvig. He thinks that he's executing this savvy long con, but it doesn't really pay off. Tough look here for S.H.I.E.L.D. Ridiculous. It's unbelievable. I guess the paperwork hadn't gone through, so they're just like, ah, it's fine. Selvig and Thor get drunk together, or, or it's, you know, Boy. more to the point, Selvig gets absolutely wasted and Thor gets slightly buzzed. Meanwhile, back on Asgard, Heimdall, the all-seeing, allows Thor's friends, the Warriors Three and Sif, to go to Earth in order to find Thor and stop Loki. Loki realizes what's up and he activates the Destroyer, Odin's enchanted armor, which guards the treasures of Asgard. And he sends it to Earth with orders to kill Thor. You really are the worst, brother. The Destroyer easily wipes out a shield strike easily. team. <laughs> Just one of Starks? I, lo- I love that part. I don't know. This guy never tells me anything. Tough look for our guys. All of S.H.I.E.L.D. Even, <laughs> yeah. the, even the Warriors <laughs> 3 and Sif, though, are ultimately no match for the Destroyer. Thor unarmed and without his powers, just a mortal in this moment, urges them to flee and then faces the destroyer alone. He offers up his own life for the safety of Earth. He's got a girlfriend now, you know? Kind of. I mean, there's there's some chemistry. Has designs on maybe having a girlfriend. 
<laughs> you know? So once you see someone stash a three-quarters eaten bowl of Kashi cereal yeah. in a area of their dwellings clearly not intended for dirty dishes, you just got to lock it yeah. down immediately. <laughs> you got to right lock away. that down. Can't let that one go. The Destroyer smacks Thor across town. And Asgard, meanwhile, a tear rolls down Odin's cheek. I- I'm telling you here, he's exiting the refractory period and is excreting <laughs> bodily fluids again. I think we're onto something. Thor has proven himself worthy. Mjolnir flies from its mooring into his hand. The god of thunder has awoken and defeats the destroyer. Or as Darcy says, meal, meal. <laughs> Meanwhile... Loki has traveled to Jotunheim to make a deal with Laufey. He will help the Frost Giants sneak into Asgard through his own secret ways that only he knows about. And he will let them into Odin's bedchamber. And he will let them kill the snoozing Allfather. (laughs) In exchange, Loki will return their ancient weapon, the Casket of Ancient Winters. But Loki actually plans a double cross. Laufey enters Odin's chamber and is about to kill the Allfather when Loki betrays his biological father, kills him, and sets out to use the Casket of Winter to wipe out all of Jotunheim. Let me just say, Laufey goes down easy. Oh, yeah. Thor, brought back to Asgard by Heimdall, meets him at the Bifrost, and the two fight. Thor has to smash the Rainbow Bridge in order to stop the destruction of Jotunheim. And the explosion destroys the Bifrost, tears a hole in space and time. Odin, the Allfather... Yawning. (laughs) Stretching up from his nap where he has just been cashing checks. Pillow marks on his face. (laughs) Those little hard (gasps) eye boogers in his eyes. (laughs) Just the one eye for Odin. What's that hammering? I'm in the Odin sleep, (laughs) goddammit. I can't even sleep one day a year. Oh, God. He arrives just in time to save his sons from falling into the tear. But still some family trouble to work through here. And Loki lets go and disappears. To be seen in the stinger of this film, and then, of course, the Avengers. Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> Thor mourns for his brother. He asks Heimdall, hey, can you just peep on Jane in here? What's she doing? <laughs> she searches for you. Heimdall says. And in the stinger, Eric Selvig, apparently under the influence of Loki, arrives at Project Pegasus at the invitation of Nick Fury to study the Tesseract, otherwise known as the Cosmic Cube, a.k.a. the Space Stone. Shield stays fucking up. Jesus. (laughs) Jason. Yes. There will never be a wiser king than you. That's right. Or a better co-host. I have much to learn. I know that now. Someday, perhaps, I shall make you proud. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's power up the arc reactor and the story. The defining theme of this episode is worthiness. Let's first get to this film's stats. It was released in, on May 6th, 2011. It was the fourth film in the MCU, the first in the Thor franchise. 
Spider-Man Sam Raimi of Evil Dead fame had been developing a Thor film in the 90s, but it just never got together. And with Thor's rights reverting back to Marvel Studios, it was the perfect time for the God of Thunder to join the burgeoning MCU. It was also really, also when you, you know, rewatching this, it struck me that this is really the film that first hits on the, the tonal quality of the MCU. Like there's a comedic quality that is here in this film. Hmm. It's not really present in Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Hulk in quite the same way as it is here. Maybe it's, I think it's certainly something about the fish out of water quality of Thor himself that adds to the comedy, but there's more laughs in here than I, that I think people remember. That's interesting because I think you're you're right. Some of it is the then people remember aspect because I think the the changes with how Chris Hemsworth's rendering of the character, his portrayal of the character, <laughs> yes. play out over the course of the MCU are obviously one of the more notable adjustments that transpire in real time as the as mm-hmm. the additional Thor movies and Thor cameos and other movies transpire. And because he gets so much more charming and is allowed to lean into the levity of the role and the oddity and the absurdity of the juxtapositions that putting Thor around other people creates, definitionally, (laughs) I think there's this tendency to think of this movie, and I think ultimately more notably Thor The Dark World, as the one that's not funny and is in fact quite self-serious. And, you know, Iron Man, I think, is like, full of laughs and more overt jokes, but I think you're right to identify that that stranger in a strange land aspect to this film and all of the kind of tonal adjacencies that that creates are are part of what makes it a little bit more of a a fascinating and rewarding rewatch than maybe people remember. And that tone, that seriousness comes in large part from the source material, but also in part from the person who helmed this adaptation. Initially, Matthew Vaughn was set to direct, but Kenneth Branagh, ended up yes. directing this movie. Mr. Gilderoy Lockhart and Mr. Shakespeare himself. And that Shakespearean <laughs> energy, the ode to the bard in modern-day comic book stories, yes. is very much in line with Branagh's energy and his overall filmography. And he was leaning into that right from the jump. As he told MTV in the run-up to the film, quote, There's science fiction and science fact and fantasy all woven into one. It's based on Norse legends, which Marvel sort of rated in a brilliant way. That's a pretty succinct (laughs) summation. Yes, quite. And again, he establishes this initial tone for Thor that, while more charming than maybe many recall, as you note, is ultimately the origin point against which the evolution of the character in those films will be measured. Part Mm -hmm. of that is casting. Oh my gosh, did they nail it? <laughs> Loaded. Did they <laughs> nail it? Oh man. Wow. Uh, just an absolutely incredible cast, including Sir Anthony Hopkins as Odin the Allfather before he had fully succumbed to the Odin sleep in Thor the Dark World and Thor Ragnarok. Incredible. Just an incredible, incredible showing from the Allfather. He is really going for it. Like, really, really going for it. He had to get all of the energy into the seven line readings that he had before he entered the Odin sleep, you know? The absolutely magnificent Rene Russo as Frigga, Tom Hiddleston in what would 
really come to be a star-making role the as best. Loki. Best. Just absolutely. Uh-huh. He nails that perfect that, you know, Loki is a complex character in the sense that one, he's a villain, but he also really does love his brother and love his family. Complex guy. And he wants to hurt them, but more in the way that he wants them to notice him. He doesn't so much want to hurt them to kill them, although sometimes he does almost kill them, but he wants to hurt them so that they go, you know what, Loki? You're great. You're a great brother. You're a great god. Wants You're the approval. Awesome. Yeah, he wants the approval. Well, as you know, as Thor will tell Gamora in uh, Infinity War, families can be tough. <laughs> they really can be. <laughs> oh, stop oh, Loki. trusting Loki, everyone. Natalie Portman. <laughs> Indeed. Dr. Jane Foster. Idris Elba is the all-seeing Heimdall. And uh, Stellan Skarsgård as Dr. Eric Selvig, a recurring role and one of the most important kind of C-level recurring Marvel Universe roles and a really fun turn for Stellan Skarsgård. A lot of the reasons hinged on Branna and that kind of gravitas working in a tangentially Shakespearean mold that he was able to bring on a press junket for another film. Natalie Portman explained uh, her choice to join the film by saying, Ken Branagh doing Thor is super weird. I've got to do it. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely right. love my queen. Oh, and, as, uh, and as Anthony Hopkins told MTV, it's a superhero movie, but with a bit of Shakespeare thrown in. It's a big, broad thing. This is a bit of Shakespeare movie as well, on a big scope. <laughs> so much hope for Anthony in those early days. It. Great stuff. <laughs> you know, if you could mash up King Lear and the first three movies of the MCU, you just got to do it. You have to. This is the result. But who would play Thor? Who would play Thor? That was the big question. And some of the casting what-ifs for Thor are really fascinating. Like, Tom Hilston was almost Thor before they cast him as Loki. And of course, tough beat for little bro here, Liam Hemsworth auditioned, but did not get the role. Chris Hemsworth, initially, they passed on him. They passed on him. I mean, that was he was not a famous actor. And of course, that was ultimately part of the calculus. Part of the choice was opting into someone who was not a complete unknown. I mean, he had been George Kirk in Star Trek, but was a relative unknown, stateside at least. Getting in at the beginning of what could be this rise to emerging stardom, which ultimately proved to be very smart because people associate Chris Hemsworth's rise and explosion as a Mm -hmm. relevant figure in the MCU and Hollywood and the Chris Wars and all of our lives with playing Thor more than anything else by a mile. The movie grossed 181 million domestically, 268.3 million internationally, 449.3, so just a, you know, shade under half a bill globally, considerably less than the 623.9 globally that the prior film 2010's Iron Man 2 netted. Rotten Tomatoes, we must reference this touchstone of pop culture criticism. 77% fresh among critics, 76% amongst audience members. What do we think, Mel? Do we agree with these ratings? To connect the general reception question with the box office and the casting and all of that for a second, it's a Fascinating moment to remember where in the run of the MCU this really fell. You know, Iron Man was like a sensation. 
Mm-hmm. The Incredible Hulk, as we talked about at length, is misunderstood. <laughs> misunderstood. <laughs> and Iron Man 2 did well, certainly, but was not such a phenomenon that everybody exited movie three and the first sequel and said, there's no stopping the MCU. That had not happened yet. Right. And so the Anthony Hopkinses of the world opting into this experience and still, you know, having something like that Natalie Portman quote that you mentioned about, this just seems weird. It was still ultimately a decision. It wasn't a guarantee for fame and riches and cultural relevance. And I think that both of the early Thor movies, Thor and Thor The Dark World, which we will talk about (laughs) at length very soon. Can't wait. Carve out a couple hours for me, pal. (laughs) Are... I think often considered among the less successful installments in the MCU. But this movie, Thor, 2011's Thor, I think is good and fun. And I really enjoy watching it. Now, it is the shift in scale that happens inside of the movie. And we'll talk about this more as we go through the plot in a couple minutes. You know, when you're up in Asgard, in the realm eternal, and you're riding down the rainbow bridge and you're looking out into the expanse of the cosmos, it's just so visually arresting and the scale and scope Mm -hmm. are so massive that you kind of can't help but be sucked in by the possibility of what you're now going to get to see unfold. And then you just, you're in a diner in a dusty street in a small town in New Mexico. And that, like the climactic battle with the Destroyer, it just feels so much smaller than what the MCU ultimately comes to represent and how it and how it becomes this completely all-consuming mm-hmm. immersive cinema experience. But that, I think, kind of belies the charm in the film. There's a lot of charm and a lot of heart here. And I personally, obviously, like, I'm a sucker for the modern-day Shakespearean cosplay. I love it. <laughs> I find this movie quite charming as well. You know, as I noted, I think it really was fundamental in assembling some of the comedy elements in terms of balancing out the action and the exposition with these elements of comedy that would allow us to both look up to these heroes, but also not take them so seriously to give them, you know, in Stanley's famed quote, feet of clay, ground them in earth to an extent. And I think that was really important for Thor. I remember at the time, you know, by this time, it was clear, uh, we we understood that Marvel intended to put out this slate of movies and then connect them all in an Avengers film eventually, somehow. Uh-huh. And I remember this was the one I was worried about. Mm-hmm. Iron Man had was already a hit, as you noted, and kind of like easier conceptually. The Hulk is iconic, okay? Right. Thor is just super weird from the way he speaks right. to the combination of Norse mythology and like sci-fi fantasy elements. Love it. Some of the greatest <laughs> Thor arcs, you know, involve him turning into a frog and being the god of thunder as a frog. Like there's just a lot of really strange things that I wasn't quite sure would cross over. And I think they did an okay job Mainly by, and and to your point of, you know, talking about like the visual riches of going to Asgard for the first time. Yeah. I think mainly by kind of shrinking the scale and scope and ideas in the Thor comics a little bit to make them more palatable. We spend a lot of time on Earth with Thor without his powers. Right. Just, you know, walking around like a regular guy. 
And I yes, think- a regular guy asking for a horse at a pet shop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just a regular guy. <laughs> and I think that was really important in terms of uh, having that emotional payoff when he does become worthy and he's, and he's, you know, humbled himself and is willing to die, basically, to protect Earth. But at the same time, those are the parts of the movie that feel like, that feel the least propulsive. That said, again, mm-hmm. I really love this movie. I think that the Hemsworth casting is obviously a home run. The Hiddleston casting is... The best. Just the a absolute major best. home run. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Just captures so much about what Loki represents in the comics. And in general, I just think this is a pretty underrated movie. Really underrated. And and certainly, yeah. you know, if you look at the kind of like major standalone movies mm-hmm. that are based on characters, so Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, you'd probably say this is the least of the three and yet I, I think it's really great. And also looking at the series as a whole, the Thor series, it's really indicative of the strength of the structure that Feige and the MCU have managed to build. The first Thor is good. Thor the Dark World is... An underrated modern classic. Yep. Even pe- <laughs> even people who like it would say it's probably yeah. the worst or the second worst of all the Marvel movies. <laughs> right. um, and then... They can just weather that uh, and come back with Ragnarok, which I would argue is the best of all the Marvel movies. Definitely top five. Yeah. Yeah. So just really a fun movie overall and a great place to start to accompany Thor on his journey. I think the other thing quickly is that you can watch Marvel movies in a couple different ways. And this film and Thor as a character really, I think, encapsulates that nicely. If you want to learn about all of the Norse mythology right. that inspires it, if you want to better understand how Hamlet and Henry VIII and King Lear are touchstones for how Branna is constructing his vision of this retelling, awesome. If you want to yes. learn about all of the decades and decades and decades of comics, myth, and lore, There's just literally rich text for you to explore. But if you just want to go to the theater or boot up Disney Plus and spend two hours reflecting on the fact that it's just really, really fun and weird to watch Idris Elba, who's awesome, play (laughs) Heimdall and wonder about how creepy Heimdall is and what kind of moral code he observes, (laughs) you can do that too. And that's enough. That's enough. So let's talk about the actual movie. Let's dive into the plot yeah. for a second. Thor opens not in the heavens with the Asgardians, not with the pantheon of gods who watch over Midgard and the rest of the nine realms, but down on earth with the mortals who spend their time gazing up into the sky, seeking to better understand the mysteries of the universe in Puente Antigua, New Mexico, where Dr. Jane Foster, Dr. Eric Selvig, and Intern Darcy shouts to Darcy. <laughs> Darcy's Mom great. Darcy, she's a riot. Are doing their best I'm in Twister impression and hunting down a weather event that Jane believes connects to this larger area of study, what she will come to identify as an Einstein Rosenbridge, aka a wormhole. And we are as aware right away of Jane's conviction as we are of what others around her may perceive as her folly. Jane, Eric tells her, you're an astrophysicist, not some storm chaser. And that language obviously could not be more deliberately crafted to set up Jane's connection with Thor, the god of thunder himself, bringer of thunder and lightning, one day wielder of Stormbreaker. You know, as Walter White would say, he is the storm. But that line from Eric achieves something else as well. It positions Jane as 
receptive, willing to see and believe that which others are not inclined to acknowledge. What is a wormhole, after all, but a portal to another world? And Jane, as we'll see over the course of the story, is eager to believe not only in the science, because that's an impulse ultimately that her truckmates share, but in the wonder unfolding around her. You know, she's not like the Dursleys. She's not turning her head to magic and possibilities. And she's also not like the people that Roger Ebert directed his bemusement toward with this firecracker of a quote, which we have shared on Binge Mode before because we love it so much, about the derision that greeted the Star Wars prequels. He wrote, quote, (laughs) how quickly do we grow accustomed to wonders? And this was upon the Phantom Menace's release, of course. I am reminded of the Isaac Asimov story, Nightfall, about the planet where the stars were visible only once in a thousand years. So awesome was the sight that it drove men mad. We who can see the stars every night glance up casually at the cosmos and then quickly down again searching for a Dairy Queen. Rough. The best. Not Jane Foster, though. You know, Nightfall, the story that Ebert mentions in that quote, is a touchstone of science fiction, and, and rightly so. And so as we begin Jane's tale and Thor's tale and the MCU's exploration of cosmic powers and battles with galactic stakes, let's keep this line from Asimov's seminal tale in mind. Quote, So the universe is not quite as you thought it was, Asimov wrote in Nightfall. You'd better rearrange your beliefs then, because you certainly can't rearrange the universe. Accepting that you cannot rearrange the universe, of course, necessitates finding a pathway to better understanding it. Enter. Thor's dark materials. (laughs) The Odin sun pushing into Earth via the Bifrost Bridge. There's no deft touch here to match Will's wielding of the subtle knife in place of a neatly open window that can be pinched back together in the midair. There's ferocity and swirling clouds and deafening roars and an imprint on the ground. Oh, and a blonde-haired, super-shredded, <laughs> ripped, muscly dude, so big, he for real could not fit into his costume. Astonishing stuff. <laughs> Here's a quote from uh, Hemsworth in the LA Times from uh, 2011. They kept saying, yeah, get as big as you can. <laughs> I can't do I can't do it in Australian accent. It's great. And then I came back right before Christmas, just before we started the movie, and I had a final sort of camera test and put the costume on. And within a couple of minutes, my <laughs> hands started going numb and everyone was like, yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And I started getting pins and needles and you'd touch the skin and the blood wouldn't return to that area so quick. And I thought, okay, it doesn't fit. Man. Imagine. <laughs> It's like a Zion Williamson level of, of mass increasing. Oh Just totally normal stuff. Helpful padding when getting hit by a car numerous times, though, I guess. Yes. Uh, where did he come from? Jane asks, casting us into Asgard and the lore of the gods and the MCU into that bigger universe Nick Fury frequently talks about. Odin's lessons for his children, Thor and Loki, is a lesson For the audience as well, a snapshot into the history between Asgard and Earth and Jotunheim and an entryway into the Norse mythology on which Thor and his stories are based. Once, Odin says, mankind accepted a simple truth, that they were not alone in the universe. A simple truth. A revelation like that for many in modern life would utterly redefine what their grasp of truth even is, the stars of nightfall suddenly popping up, these pinpricks of awakening in the evening sky. Long ago, as we learn, 
as scenes from Norway in 965 AD are unfurling on the screen, humans knew of the other realms and the beings who inhabited them. They knew of Jotunheim and the Frost Giants. They knew of the Asgardians and their might. They knew of the casket of ancient winter and Gungnir and the power that those objects boasted. And Asgard is, of course, full of such objects, full of such awe as we see when we pan across the realm eternal. That's a fun moment in the movie when you're seeing Asgard for the first time, all that glistening gold and sparkling water and swirling clouds. But most people on Earth have forgotten. Most people have lost sight of that wonder, turned, as our good friend Raj would say, to their dairy queens instead, (laughs) not their princes and kings in the sky. Quote, though we have fallen into man's myths and legends, Odin says, it was Asgard and its warriors that brought peace to the universe. Quite a flex right there from the Allfather. We get it. You saved everyone. But he is not actually speaking to us, as it seems. He's speaking to young Thor and young Loki, the god of thunder and the god of mischief, two princes bound for their share of conflict and heroics and the heaviest of all burdens. Choice. The choices they will have to make. The day will come when one of you will have to defend that peace, Odin tells them, doing a, honestly, like a very piss-poor job here of inhibiting Loki's eventual lust for power in any way. (laughs) One of you? Come on. The boys... Have a thirst for adventure, but not yet the experience to really grasp the stakes. A wise king, Odin says, channeling his inner Tywin Lannister here as the camera sweeps past Mjolnir, forecasting the wisdom that will lead to the worth that will be required to properly wield it for Thor at the end of the film, never seeks out war. (laughs) Ah, but Odin's not talking to docile young Tommen Lannister, is he? He's talking to... Two boys, both who believe they are destined for greatness, in part because he keeps telling them they are. (laughs) Only one of you can ascend the throne, but both of you were born to be kings. Thanks a lot, Dad. (laughs) Can we get just make a decision here? And definitely not a line that will inspire and frankly unhealthy streak of competition between them or any misplaced entitlement on Loki's parts. The incentives that Odin has set up are just way out of whack here. Of course. The born-to-be-king's line is quite literal, as we'll learn that Loki's true parentage makes him the rightful heir of another throne, Jotunheim's. Instead of acknowledging that truth and nurturing the instincts it might inspire, Odin conceals it from Loki, and the nobility of his intentions don't diminish the eventual cost of the choice or the reality of, day after day, feeling less than Thor, this super gorgeous, blonde, burly future king who'd seek to rule with a hammer, and a wink. Thor's coronation day brings more than just a rare glimpse of his iconic winged helmet from the comics or an insight into that hammer Mjolnir whose power has no equal, as Odin tells us, but a party-crashing intrusion from the Frost Giants guided by Loki's secret hand. They arrive just as Odin is asking Thor if he's prepared to give up all his selfish ambitions, a condition to which he agrees without hesitation. Uh But the impulse for selfishness is is not always conscious, and it certainly isn't with Thor. It's intertwined with the fundamental question of worth. Thor, as we see as he challenges his father in the vault, and as we'll see again when he sets out to Jotunheim in defiance of his father's counsel, is rash and hasty, eager for action and glory, but not yet measured or steady enough to think of long-range consequences or costs, not to mention motivation. You're thinking only as a warrior, Odin tells Thor. 
This was an act of war, his son replies, casually naming himself king. But you are not king, the all-father replies, exerting a destroyer-level burst of energy or two ahead of his impending nap time. So many amazing line readings in this movie. That's one of the best. He's really going for it. King! <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a, I was reading um, the transcript of a press junket interview with Hiddleston Hemsworth and, and Hopkins from before the film's release. And he said, quote, I was only on it about three weeks on those great sets. There was no acting required. I wrote N-A-R in my script for no acting required. Oh my I let God, the armor. I let the armor act for me on the sets. I showed up and put on my voice, and that was about it. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Just incredible and refreshing candor from the All Father. I absolutely love it. The part about letting the armor do the acting for him—you really can feel that. Like he's it's so true. He's thrusting the, the yeah. metal eye patch toward you <laughs> with every line he speaks. Yeah. It's just incredible. <laughs> Oh, my God. That division, of course, that is springing up between Thor and Odin is exactly what Loki desires. That's what he's cultivating. He's counting on Thor's pride and stubbornness, winning out and leading him astray. This was to be my day of triumph, Thor says. And it's it's really actually quite a jarring line and moment on a rewatch, both because it's just so petulant And because it's in such stark contrast to that good-humored lightness that the evolved version of Thor brings to the MCU later on down the road. It just feels in that moment like a completely different character. You know, again, realizing that Chris Hemsworth could be consistently funny and charming is one of the more important markers along the pathway of the Infinity Saga. This Thor is, is kind of a brat, but that's deliberate. He has to be because he has to start somewhere from which he can then grow and mature. He has to discover a sense of self. It's not enough to be a literal god. There has to be more to heroism than that. But there's not much more to Thor at this point. A touch of the Dario Naharis in him. You know, I'm the simplest man you'll ever meet. I only do what I want to do. That's kind of the energy Thor has right here. He wants to fight and fuck and drink and be merry. And Loki knows how to work that, knows how to manipulate him, knows how to play him. He is, of course, based on the Norse trickster god. This is the point of Loki's character. He knows that Thor is impulsive. He knows that he is unbending. And he knows that Thor's companions are about 10% voice of reason, 90% mm-hmm. enabler. Like the Warriors 3 and Sif, they can't stop Thor. Right? No, they can't. I mean, maybe Sif could once she left for the blind spot set, but not until then. That's and Not until then, certainly. <laughs> My friends, have you forgotten all that we have done together? he says. And for those five, Valhalla isn't just like a future promise, the heaven that awaits. It's the reality in the moment of constantly chasing down that adventure and that glory together. They charge down the rainbow bridge with the cosmos dancing on the edge of the screen. And boy, does so cool. the rainbow bridge look fucking great. So cool. <laughs> it's an arresting fitting encapsulation of the grandeur of Thor's life before his existence shrinks down to this mortal coil, essentially, in a dusty one-horse or no-horse town, (laughs) when you really come to think about it. They have dogs and they have cats, and that's it. Give me one of those big enough to ride! (laughs) 
<laughs> Thor frequently uh, rides in goat-drawn carriages in Asgard, so I could see where he'd be like, yeah, where's my, do you have a large dog that I could ride? <laughs> but before Odin sends Thor to New Mexico, Heimdall sends him to Jotunheim, dropping a handy bit of Loki foreshadowing regarding the realm-destroying power of leaving open the bridge. Mm-hmm. I have no plans to die today, Thor says. None do, Heimdall replies. And it's a nice moment showcasing Thor's it-can't-happen-to-me arrogance right. and Heimdall's quiet wisdom. Thor is tempting fate and testing his father in a way that ensures his father will need to set a life-altering test for him. Thor could not possibly be more self-assured or self-righteous as he challenges the Frost Giants, who look... <laughs> Really like a combination of the Night King and the redesigned Children of the Forest? Totally. Oh, my God, yeah. Shades of leaf. (laughs) Really shocking stuff to watch it in 2020. Laufey is pretty much unimpressed and unfazed. The House of Odin is full of traitors, Laufey says. Now, Laufey is not, despite the fact that he is king of Jotunheim, Not exactly a top-level foe. Mm -hmm. He lost his main weapon to his main rival in the war long ago. He can't recognize his son is standing there in front of him. This is brutal. He'll eventually be double-crossed by that son and basically one-shotted and taken out. The king of the Frost Giants done in one shot. I guess technically it takes two. The second one completely obliterates him. There's no Vader, no disintegrations warning. Right. But still, it's like, wait, why did Odin have a problem with this guy? Anyway, (laughs) but he sees Thor quite clearly. Yes. Why have you come here? To make peace? You long for battle. You crave it. Mm -hmm. You're nothing but a boy trying to prove himself a man. (laughs) Some Raz Theon, you're a serious boy energy here. At least make it a challenge for me, Thor boasts after the fighting breaks out on Jotunheim. Vane and Brash knocking down giants with his hammer like he's Bobby Brathian. Gods! <laughs> but they never tell you how your secret frost giant lineage reveals itself when one of your kin touches you, especially after one of the Warriors 3 is like, don't let them touch you! Uh-oh, wait, they did. Oh, I'm fine. They don't put that in the songs, do they, Mel? No, no, they don't. Ah, oh, I miss Bobby B. Bobby, what a great man. What a shame we only got one season of Bobby B. I know. Not enough. Not enough. How'd you do it? How'd <laughs> I could you see, do it? I could just see Bobby B and Thor <laughs> sitting there with glasses, tankards of mead. How'd you do oh, it? Oh, they'd love it. Ah, they'd quack absolutely quack. love it. <laughs> Hit him with the hammer. Me too. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they never tell you how they shit themselves, do they, Thor? <laughs> oh, God. Thor, speaking of shit and grime, is somehow not covered in uh, guts and filth after flying through the frost beast's brainstem. I, I just don't understand that. I guess he's moving at a very high velocity. But anyway, still gets just absolutely dunked on by Odin yeah. in front of all his pals and the frost giants, too. These are the actions of a boy, Odin says. Very tough look here for Thor. And Odin continues tearing into Thor back home the second they touch down. You can't even protect your friends. How can you hope to protect a kingdom? And Thor says that the Jotuns, in his mind, have to learn to fear him. And he sounds here really a lot like Viserys, this young, needy, misguided leader. How can you rule without love or fear? 
that's pride and vanity talking, Odin says, not leadership. And Loki is just standing there a few paces behind them, twiddling his thumbs, this look of <laughs> quiet that- triumph building. <laughs> Amazing. Loki's only been up to these kind of antics for millennium. And <laughs> no one ever is like, wait, did Loki do this? Oh my God. It's just <laughs> remarkable. He looks so guilty when he's standing there. I really love it does. so much. It really makes me laugh. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy, Odin shouts. You are an old man and a fool, Thor replies. Just not nice. Not a nice thing to say to your father. But it's the final bit of proof that Odin needs to take the measure of Thor and find him lacking. He was a fool, he says, to think Thor was ready and a fool to think him worthy of assuming the mantle of king. Thor, son! <laughs> you have betrayed the express command of your king! Through your arrogance and stupidity, you've opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and desolation of war! I think through your arrogance and stupidity is is like honestly my favorite line in the entire movie. That's so funny. God, so And as he says these words, he is peeling off Thor's armor, his epaulets, the mail that covers his arms falling off of him, his cape. You are unworthy of these realms. You are unworthy of your title. You are unworthy of the loved ones you have betrayed. I now take from you your power. In the name of my father and his father before I, Odin, all father, cast you out. (laughs) And through the bifrost, Thor goes tumbling, robbed of his hammer and his magic and his might, rendered a mere... Well, Mir is underselling it a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) He's still 6'4 and jacked. (laughs) Fitness freak, as Eric will say, you know? Yeah. Certainly a mortal man. (laughs) But of course, Odin is not just going to give up on his son. He's trying to teach him a lesson. He believes that Thor can prove equal to this trial that on Earth, where in the comics lore he was born, more on that in a bit, he can discover humility, becoming the leader that his people deserves once he's absorbed the humbleness of the people he would seek to protect. Believes it enough that he sends Mjolnir through the Bifrost right behind Thor, enchanted with these words, whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Oh, I feel like it's time for our winner's segment now. Mjolnir's <laughs> proximity to Thor during his trial is a, a great taunt, mm-hmm. yes. But it's also an opportunity. His Excalibur, his sword in the stone is within reach. Mjolnir is literally embedded in the rock in a place known as the Land of Enchantment. It's not exactly a subtle reference, but none of the townspeople can lift it. In our A New Hope podcast during the Binge Mode Star Wars run, we talked about the process of designing the lightsaber, the weapon of a Jedi Knight. And as set director Roger Christian said on the Discoveries from Inside extra on the DVDs, quote, I knew reading the script that this lightsaber was Excalibur, so I knew it had to be special. And that same Arthurian legend is present here too, merging with Norse myth regarding this aspect of worth and right. But Before Thor hears from the townspeople about this object that no one can lift, he's in basically concussion protocol after Jane's first, just a light grazing, and and Darcy's tasing. (laughs) Concussion protocol. And this nice little exchange, Hama, Hama, yeah, Darcy replies, we can tell you're hammered. It's pretty obvious. 
Darcy. Darcy makes me laugh. I just love her. Darcy's <laughs> absolutely hilarious. We uh, can see Thor on the tight end, right? Oh, He's got yeah. the size moving down the field. Huge target. Absolutely. I mean, the flowing locks. Like a little bit of the George Kittle energy. Sure. Plug him in there. A nice target for Jimmy G. Or Nick Mullen, whoever's it. playing when this podcast airs. <laughs> I mean, we've already had a football player named Gronk. So I feel like Thor is not that far-fetched a football player name. You're right. You're absolutely right. It is just as obvious to Jane that they have, in fact, discovered a wormhole. Because she could see another realm's constellations in her imagery. And Darcy can see Thor's outline. Can see all the shapes of those muscles. Jane apparently cannot see anything. I'm concerned about our dear friend Jane Foster here because she hits Thor again with her car in the (laughs) hospital parking lot. This is just remarkable stuff from Jane. (laughs) At least Jane is charitable enough to give Thor her ex's dirty shirt after he tidies up. We're going to talk about that shirt and the name tag more later. Nice Easter egg there. They are right away a little flustered around each other. They're channeling some of that early Padme Anakin energy. You know, it's only because I'm so in love with your abs. (laughs) Uh, no one on Earth can lift Mjolnir, but back on Asgard, Loki has no problem lifting the casket of ancient winters. Am I cursed? He asks his father in the vault. No, what am I? You're my son. What more than that? And the exchange that ensues is a masterclass of mishandling the moment. The substance of Odin's message is, you know, actually quite affecting. Yeah. It does not matter that Loki was born to Laufey, king of the Frost Giants. He chose to raise him as his own, to love him, to build a new family with him. But yes, he also lied. He hid that birth origin from Loki. He deprived Loki of the truth and the choice. Not everyone's Jon Snow. Not everyone learns who they really are and then decides to go help other people. And Loki, to his credit, knows that the real affection that developed over time doesn't erase the original intention. You took me for a purpose. What was it? Peace Uh and alliance through Loki. So I am no more than another stolen relic locked up here until you might have use of me. Why do you twist my words, Odin says, in the ferocity of this exchange, the pinpoint precision of Loki's charges— is too much for Odin, sending him into what at first appears to be a heart attack, but is in fact a very, very, very much needed nap. (laughs) I'm talking about the Odin sleep, folks. You know, it's Loki in this scene reminds me of, you as a child of divorce may know this, Mm -hmm. may understand this energy, but like, I, you know, a lot of my friends growing up who were children of divorce, they had very complex feelings about it, but also... When there were disputes or arguments between either parent, my friends always seemed to have an instinctive understanding that they could push it a little further because this trauma allowed them a little bit more leeway with their parents, which they would then use as leverage when they got into trouble or wanted to challenge their parents on a thing. And it seems to me like very much the kind of dynamic at play here with With Odin, he didn't need to make, he could have just brought Loki back. He didn't need to make him his co-heir or a potential heir, certainly. And in those intervening years, it's quite clear that he's grown extremely attached to Loki. Mm -hmm. And Loki understands this. And he understands that, okay, yes, something was hidden from me, but also 
with his mischievous streak, he understands this is a little bit of leverage that I can use to push the all-father a little bit. Oh, for sure. And the the way that he pops those peas, yeah. you know, Loki he's would be, he's like in some ways born to be a podcaster, but he'd really he need the right mic setup. You know, I love the the enunciation and the pee popping. He's great. You're right. There's a little bit of like the Kramer versus Kramer energy, but inverted. Instead of the parents being the ones who are always warring and debating and trying to gain leverage against each other. Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah. it's the kids in this instance. Loki pushes aside any inner turmoil he feels like a greasy lock of hair, appointing himself king, refusing Sif and the Warrior Three's command to end Thor's banishment. This first Thor film is about Thor's awakening as a hero and a protector, but it's just as much about Loki's own limitations and the failings that thwart and corrupt a god uh-huh. as the Allfather lays cashing checks in his Odin sleep cocoon. Frigga tries to appeal to the tender heart within. You are our son, Loki, and we your family. She tells him there's still hope for Thor. There's always a purpose to everything your father does, even when he just falls asleep in the middle of an <laughs> argument and then is just asleep for a week. It's honestly a great strategy to get out of a tough spot. It I've really, got to remember I love to try it. So it. <laughs> I love it. Amazing. But yeah, you're right. That The movie can't just be about the grandeur of the gods. There has to be that right. human aspect and, and beating heart to it. And Thor, for his part, is just wandering through town right now, right into traffic, earning an very enthusiastic, dumbass shout from a passing driver. It's always so fun to rewatch these with subtitles on it. <laughs> Just seeing dumbass blare across the screen really <laughs> cracked me up. And amazingly, in this one instance, the driver in a dust-up is not Jane, though she does then offer Thor a lift and drive off the road as they're talking because she's Jane. She asks him during this exchange, who are you? And, you know, we're not quite in the are you an angel Anakin territory here. <laughs> are you but an angel? It's close. It's close. A little inversion there. Thor remains, for now, his version of a mortal. His infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s base around Mjolnir is one of the more action-packed bits of fun in the movie. And and by the way, shouts to Hydra spy Jasper Sitwell, who is Uh, rerouting Southwest airline flights as Thor is breaking into their base. Unbelievable. He's a fucking joke. It's, it's just terrible. Shouts to Hawkeye. I, I, it's always kind of a shock to remember that this is his MCU debut. The fake out of grab a gun and then he takes, takes the bow. And it's so clearly like a, uh, you know, like a reshoot too. It's so clearly like not part of the actual <laughs> <laughs> like filming production schedule. I mean, yeah, there's no, absolutely no connection <laughs> between zero. Hawkeye and the plot None. at all. It's It's remarkable. Thor reaches the hammer, not with ease, but certainly with a lot of conviction. And even Coulson is caught up in the moment. Wait, he tells Hawkeye, I want to see this. And Thor seems for a moment so happy when he reaches Mjolnir, so at peace. His identity is tied up in that hammer, his power, his standing, his sense of self, if he can lift it. This whole chapter need be but a blip, a a temporary waylay full of pancakes and portals and... I don't know if he was drinking coffee or a mocha or hot chocolate or what, but as he noted, it was delicious. Most heartbreakingly, no other possibility actually occurs to Thor. There's, there's not a if not in his mind. He will reach Mjolnir and he will lift Mjolnir and he will resume the life that he was meant to live. That's it. 
And that, of course, is why he cannot lift it because he does not understand that there could be another path, that there could be consequences. He is not yet ready, not yet able to understand what wielding that power really means and more crucially, what it demands of you. And his arm muscles are like rippling like these- Absolutely. They're, when are they anacondas, not rippling? <laughs> massive cords <laughs> of rope as he's straining and striving to no avail. I'm when are they very not fond rippling? of this portion of the movie. <laughs> And it just breaks him. The failure to lift it breaks him. He screams into the rain, into the storm. Realizing here, really for the first time, not not when his father banished him, not when he woke up in the hospital, but here for the first time, what has happened to him and what it means, what his arrogance has cost him. Now, to him, Mjolnir's proximity doesn't seem like a gift. It's a torment. It's a looming, gleaming reminder of everything that he lost. Eric, meanwhile, just badly wants Jane to stop following after this hot, strange man. Listen to what he's saying. He's talking about Mjolnir and Thor and the Bifrots. It's the stories I grew up with as a child. And here, this is kind of a reference, or certainly the same kind of technique that's used in uh, Ultimates Volume 2, you know, when Thor first appears in the Ultimate Universe, everybody thinks he's got some kind of, like, the hammer is, like, some piece of tech, or he's got, like, a belt that gives him superpowers. He's very much an environmentalist and this kind of, like, new age hippie guy, and he's always talking about, you know, Asgard and stuff. And everybody's like, this guy is fucking crazy. And for most of that series, Volume 2, people think that he is actually an unbalanced man with some kind of uh, high-tech weaponry that makes him really strong and control the weather. Nobody actually believes him when he's saying, yeah, I'm the god of thunder, my brother is Loki, you know, my mom's Frigga, my dad is Odin the Allfather. And so this part is really, I love that people are just doubting him. Like, what is this (laughs) weird guy thinking about? Nice challenge to his arrogance. Yeah, but as Voldemort's ignorance of the Hallows taught us. You overlook the importance of children's stories at your own peril, Eric. Uh-huh. Because even as he has to acknowledge, there's something more than meets the eye here. When he sees S.H.I.E.L.D. back at their station, taking all their research, all their evidence, their hard drives, etc. The iPod. Fucking Darcy's iPod. Rough. She had just downloaded 30 new songs, Jason. Truly one of the only th- moments that really dates this film. Darcy, let me tell you about Spotify. all the research they have from the night they found Thor in the desert. And yet when he stumbles upon a book of Norse mythology in the library, he feels vindicated and assured. He shows Jane the book in an effort, you know, really to kind of show how absurd Thor's claims are. Jane rejects this. But you're the one who's always pushing me to chase down every possibility, every alternative. I'm talking about science, not magic. Well, magic's just science that we don't understand yet. Arthur C. Clarke, Jane Foster, please come on Binge Mode. I love it. Love it. She's citing the third of Clark's three laws. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Eric is not impressed by Jane's poll. Who wrote science fiction, he fires back. A precursor to science fact, Jane replies. Jane observes reasonably that if wormholes do exist, there must be something on the other side. And Darcy notes that a primitive culture like the Vikings could have worshipped that something as deities, thinking them gods, etching their stories into the annals of legend. Think of the exchange Eric, controlled by Loki, and Nick Fury will have in this film stinger as Fury at Project Pegasus's joint dark energy mission facility reveals the Tesseract, the Foster Theory, Selvig will say, a gateway to another dimension. It's unprecedented, isn't it? 
Legend tells us one thing, history another, Fury says. Mm -hmm. A spin on the magic science two sides idea. But every now and then, we find something that belongs to both. Jane may have cited Clark's third law, but his second one is really the one that Eric is going to need to embrace. The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. He goes to the creator site to help Thor, really to help Jane. And Thor is in Coulson's custody, listening to Phil theorize about where Big Donnie B trained. He's actually not, like, totally wrong about that soldier of fortune yeah. <laughs> theory. <laughs> Coulson, who is noted moments ago, is working shoulder to shoulder with an undetected Hydra agent. And seconds from now, will be completely unaware that Loki has teleported into Thor's holding cell, projected himself into Thor's holding cell, proudly tells Thor, one way or another, we find out what we need to know. We're good at that. <laughs> Very rough stuff from Phil Coulson, but a medal-winning showing compared to what we see here from Thor, who goes full, full Harry and Chamber of Secrets here <laughs> with his own My Good Friend Tom routine when Loki shows up. Loki, my close personal friend. Yeah. The guy My actual him. brother. Yes. <laughs> my brother, what? the silver tongue. For what innocent reason could you be here? <laughs> <laughs> you have never led me wrong before, Loki. I will unwaveringly believe all that you tell me about our father's <laughs> death and the conditional truce that you reached with our sworn rival and my mother's refusal to forgive me. <laughs> Are you a ghost, Thor said uncertainly? A memory said Loki quietly, preserved in the body of a fucking liar for 50 years. Okay, that part didn't happen, but it feels like it could. Thankfully, Odin's enchantment on Mjolnir has nothing to do, it's clear, with sound judgment or common sense because Thor does not ultimately possess either of those. The burden of the throne has fallen to me now, Loki says. And yet his design remains hidden to Thor, who apologizes to Loki. It's unbelievable stuff. And then thanks him. Astonishing stuff from Thor Odinson. <laughs> Loki uh, wearing a nice car coat and a scarf. He looks great. Suit and tie. He looks great. Yeah. He didn't just come to visit, of course. He makes a short pit stop to the hammer, which again, security around the hammer, Lacking. very, very loose. <laughs> Extremely loose. There's shield dudes walking back and forth all around. And They're he just, banged up after Thor cut through them, you know? He just wanders down to it, gives it a little tug, but of course he cannot lift it, which is a nice touch. Thor has some growing to do, sure, but Loki is in no form or fashion fit to sit the throne or lift Mjolnir. Eric, meanwhile, is not fit for a life of espionage, as his extremely thin Don Blake cover story for Thor falls through the second shield runs the idea. But Coulson is so content to try to follow Selvig and Thor back to the truth that he lets Selvig take him and lets Thor take Jane's journal, which is much less excusable. Whether anyone from shield actually does follow them is not really clear here. It's a very confusing series of events. If they did they'd have eavesdropped on some real introspection and reflection from Thor. You know, I had it all backwards, he tells Eric. I had it all wrong. It's not a bad thing finding out that you don't have all the answers. You, you start asking all the right questions. Credit to Selvi, this is good advice and the kind of perspective that Thor is finally ready to imbibe along with his quite deep boilermaker. It may not seem like Thor's processing this. For the first time in my life, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. But Eric's reply helps center him. 
Anyone who's ever going to find his way in this world has to start by admitting he doesn't know where the hell he is. Remember the earlier exchange between Odin and his sons and what makes a good king in Tywin's exchange with Tommen that it recalled. What did Tywin actually tell Tommen? What did he teach him? It's wisdom that makes a good king. Now, it suited Tywin to impart this lesson because wisdom, as he saw, came from heeding his own counsel and mm-hmm. it helped underscore his own importance in the firmament of King's Landing. But self-interest doesn't necessarily invalidate the claim at all. Thor is listening to Eric now, and he's matured enough to realize that that's new for him. My father was trying to teach me something, but I was too stupid to see it, he says. Oh, Thor, we've all been there. Loki is seeking an awakening of his own on Jotunheim, where he agrees to sneak Laufey and a few chosen frost giants back onto Asgard and into Odin's chambers to slay the Allfather. But he hides his purpose from Heimdall and from the Frost Giants as well. This will be a double cross. And upon his return, Heimdall confronts him. This troubles the gatekeeper. You know, Jason, he's used to being able to peep on anyone whenever he wants. Doesn't like being shut out. (laughs) Do we need some oversight on Heimdall? I'm just asking the question. No firewalls for Heimdall. (laughs) He says he couldn't see or hear Loki. And since... Time doll is all seeing and all hearing. You know, that's his whole thing. He's troubled by this. You were shrouded from me like the frost giants that entered the realm. Can we very, very quickly sidebar here on Heimdall's <laughs> accent? Like a touch of the little finger, the way that his voice completely morphs across the movies. Yeah, he sounds nothing really, like this by the end. Nothing. It really does. I wonder what he was trying to do. I think he just lost touch with it, you know, like over the course of the films. Uh, <laughs> the later but, movies require a crisper pace. Maybe it's maybe it's something to do with that. But yes, I think so. Wild stuff. Anyway, Loki navigates this exchange, this challenge from Heimdall, really with mastery, with innate command. He is almost effortless in his boldness. He's he's graceful in his duplicity. He is unencumbered here by limitations that many other people would face, such as doubt. Ah, but why does Butcher? <laughs> need Huey on one of our favorite shows, The Boys, because he's his canary, as he would say. And Thor is Loki's canary. Only when Thor is there to sound the warning call can Loki identify when he's gone too far, when he's dug too deep, and occasionally make the effort to try to climb back toward his version of redemption, however fleeting it may be. Without Thor, or worse, when Loki's goal is actually to eliminate Thor, Loki cannot tell when that gas has engulfed him. When Thor brings an absolutely wasted Eric back to Jane's airstream, she answers the door with, oh, my God, which is nice. (laughs) Yes, actually, literally. Jane tells Thor she never has guests, which seems a bit hard to believe, but slightly less so when she begins putting dirty dishes in the cabinets. What's wrong with the sink here? (laughs) She's flustered. Have you seen Thor? I get. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's not every day that a actual god of thunder and a, again, super handsome ripped guy visits you in your airstream. Jane and Thor may not have the best chemistry in the MCU, but this scene is is actually quite sweet. They gaze into each other's eyes. Thor tucks a blanket over Jane's shoulders after she falls asleep and thanks her. It's very tender, and beyond what it does to move their relationship forward, it's consequential for Thor's self-actualization. It's an evening of humbleness. Just... Yeah hanging around, making a connection with another person. The evening air by the fire pit, 
two people just sharing their hearts. This night and the small breakfast assisting actions of the following morning are shorthand for showing us how Thor has changed and found a new version of purpose and contentment. I mean, you know, recall, Thor is absolutely a person who would have been waited on his entire life and would never have been involved in either cooking or cleaning up after the cooking. Absolutely not. This is not the arrogant, cocksure, greedy boy we met when the movie opened. He's not rushing or smashing through. He's just sharing himself, sharing his knowledge, teaching Jane about the world's tree and the nine realms. He's encouraging her to believe in herself and her work. Your ancestors called it magic and you call it science. Well, I come from a place where they're one and the same thing, he tells her. And not in the way he previously encouraged his friends. That was an effort to stoke their egos in order to suit his own adventure-seeking ends. There's something Mm -hmm. vastly more selfless about what's going on here and much more human. Yes, absolutely. Those friends, though, they want to help their pal, too. And what's more, they, of course, don't mind violating the fact that Loki has told them not to do this. The need to defy an order has never stopped them before. And as soon as our dude Titus Polo of Rome fame finishes his oh, expansive meal. He's, the, I love he's great. Him. Ray Stevens is just always consistently excellent. Four wild boar, six pheasant, a side of beef, and two casks of ale. Sounds delicious, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but Jason, do not mistake his appetite for apathy. He's ready. And Heimdall comes in with the surprise assist and they are off. As is, of course, the destroyer that Loki activates and sends after them with a Honestly, just way too vague set of marching yeah. orders. You destroy everything. I think this is much too broad a mandate for the destroyer. Touch more <laughs> yeah, let's get it. Let's God. just say, take out Thor and that's it. Just everything is <gasps> literally every piece of matter down there. And I think that <gasps> that's too broad. I think that, that you can't do that, Loki. Yeah. Come on. Everything a little too sweeping? I, I, I agree. I mean, and- well, you know, this is only his first geno- attempted genocide of the movie. So <laughs> just... First of many. First of many. (laughs) At least Loki is sharing a touch more with Heimdall, the revelation for how he smuggled the Jotuns into the realm eternal before, and a nugget that will set up his ability to survive when he lets go at the end of the film and travel about after the Bifrost is destroyed when he slips down into space into the, the wormhole. Also, to how he and Thor will eventually go on, uh, lovely brotherly excursion that we'll talk about in future podcasts. There are secret paths between the worlds to which even you with all your gifts are blind, he tells Heimdall, and then freezes him with the casket of ancient winters. And Jason, (laughs) listen, you hate to see it through the shards of ice covering your burning eyes. While Coulson is hoping to turn Thor into his story of your life slash arrival mashup by summoning a linguistics professor, (laughs) Sif and the Warriors 3 have more information for Thor. Number one, Odin is not dead. Two, Loki is a filthy liar. We should have known that, but like it's good to tell you. And Thor, you're really dumb for believing him again. Also, Eric is suddenly convinced that everything Thor has said is true just because... Four people who could easily be dressed for, like, a Comic-Con show up? Anyway, Thor, Siv, and the Warriors 3 know that the Destroyer's arrival is no party trick. It's assured destruction, in part because he doesn't have a hammer, no armor, no magic, no power coursing through him, in part because of his maturation and budding affection for Jane, Eric, and Darcy. Thor is, for once, thinking about how to serve as a shield rather than a sword. He wants to get everyone to safety. Everyone out. Use the back door. 
That'll make all the difference. The scope of this climactic that part battle. Is so one, nuts. I know. It's just it's crazy. a ten foot difference, Eric. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the scope of this climactic battle, or one of the climactic battles, certainly anyway, feel almost impossibly small in the context of mm-hmm. the eventual MCU standard, even three years in. Yeah. This is still phase one, a totally different branch of the MCU's world tree than the others that would soon sprout. When the Destroyer survives Sif spearing it through the gullet, Thor begs his friends to just leave, to recognize that they can't beat the Destroyer, and it's the exact advice he ignored on Jotunheim. He then tells them that he has a plan, and he charges on alone, ready to prove his worth, ready to sacrifice himself for the people of Midgard, if he must. He tries to appeal to Loki through the Destroyer. Brother, whatever I have done to you, Whatever I have done to wrong you, whatever I have done to lead you to do this, I am truly sorry, but these people are innocent. Taking their lives will gain you nothing, so take mine instead. Oh, Jason, when is appealing to Loki's good heart and sense of reason? Oh, my God. Ever it's failed like, do to we work? Kn- do, we, uh, do we know this guy or not? Oh you grew up with this guy. This is a stirring attempt here from Thor. Unfortunately for him, the Destroyer and Loki's response is, in essence, sounds like a fair trade. The Destroyer, who we'll, we'll talk about more in a bit, reaches out a magical metal hand and just flips Thor like one of those pancakes he was having so much fun eating. Sends him flying across the, the throughway there. Does Thor, in this moment of defeat, spend what he assumes are his final moments lamenting the life of which he was robbed, the glory of which he was deprived? No. He smiles at Jane because he sees the people he tried to save are safe. He did his job. He did what Odin once said that he could not, protecting his people, protecting his kingdom. He proved his worth. And we are not the only ones who recognize it. Because in that warm, electric, blanket cocoon of the Odin sleep, a single tear trickles down the all-father's cheek. <laughs> we are then treated to a frankly bizarre flashback of him enchanting Mjolnir, which happened 58 minutes prior and thus is quite fresh in our minds. I know. I'm <laughs> not sure that we needed that, but okay. <laughs> anyway, and then we see Mjolnir come loose, Excalibur, unsheathed, flying right into Thor's actually not-so-dead hand, and the thunder and the lightning course through him. He is worthy. He possesses the power of Thor, and his armor applies itself to his body like these scales affixing to his person, and the storm surges around him. And then Jane once again says, oh, my God. And then on the second on the second utterance, it's like, yeah, we get it. All right, we know I'm, what you're well, doing. Well, hopefully that's, this is not the first or second or even you're third right. time that she will, <laughs> that she will say that. <laughs> I'm hoping for some flea bag quality nights from, from yes. Jane. Nine times? Nine. <laughs> the wand chose Thor, and with it, he destroys the destroyer and walks back to his pals, still with good heart, but also with a touch more swagger. So is this how you normally look? Jane asks him. More or less. But before Thor can return home to Asgard to challenge Loki, he has to appear in yet one more Acura commercial with Coulson, who calls him Donald. Love an RDX. And who, in essence, earns Thor's commitment to the Avengers without ever figuring out who he really is on his own, let alone actively recruiting him. Easy one for Coulson here. Absolutely easy win for Coulson. Always nice to have an easy day at work. Know this. This fucking cracked me up. <laughs> know this, son of coal. So good. <laughs> so good. That's great. <laughs> uh, son no. of, you wouldn't know him. Yeah. 
Know this set of coal. You and I, we fight for the same cause, the protection of this world. From this day forward, you can count on me as your ally. If you return the items you have taken from Jane. Thor, welcome to the Avengers. Do you think he asked for the the iPod? Do you think he secured the iPod for Darcy? The iPod better be in there. Because I'll tell you this. I guarantee you, Thor does not know the specific details of what has been taken other than the iPod, which I'm sure Darcy has not stopped talking about and which Jane surely has not failed to mention. It's the one thing I know for sure that they took, the iPod. Anyway. (laughs) Thor, welcome to the kind of proto-Avengers. And Laufey, certainly welcome to Asgard. Brutal beat for Heimdall, frozen, watching them pass through his post. But the agony of being beaten in this way, plus Thor's call from Midgard, pushes him to thaw himself out and free himself from his icy chamber for some frost giant murdering. Thor and Jane say their farewells. I must go back to Asgard, but I give you my word. I will return for you. And they kiss. And what sized picnic table is Natalie Portman on in this scene? Let's talk about this for a minute. Chris Hemsworth is 6'3", 6'4". He is literally a foot taller than her. Yeah, Maybe I, Natalie more. Portman is probably 5'1", five, 5'2". Five, like, she's standing on a car. Like, <laughs> she's Maybe she's standing on one of the dogs that Thor couldn't actually ride. It's, it's wild that their faces are at the exact same plane. Wild. All Makes the, no sense. They, couldn't they have just, like, it didn't have to be a full box. Couldn't it have been a half box? He could have, like, picked her up or something to actually explain that leveling? That would have been kind yeah, of sweet. or if he even kneeled down. I guess they just couldn't get the tight shot with the height difference. Is that what the issue was? Astounding. I don't know. It's so bizarre. <laughs> it's absolutely wild oh, God. stuff. Anyway. <laughs> uh, there's plenty of stuff unfolding back on Asgard where Loki's double cross plays out as he disintegrates his biological father to save his actual father. And your death came by the son of Odin, Loki says, working to preserve the All-Father's life. And because it's Loki, his own ambitions, his own goals. He swears to Frigga that the Jotuns will pay, conveniently failing to mention, oh, how'd they get in here? I don't know. And positioning them as pawns on his godly board of chess as he continues to angle for King of Asgard. One thing about Loki, though, is he never quite accounts for the fact that the people he's lying to might interact with each other. Yeah. So in walks Thor, who knows the truth. You're a talented liar, brother, Thor shouts. Always have been. Uh, again, Thor, if you, if you know this and you know right. that he's always been a talented right. liar, then why have you believed everything that he said? But anyway. Right. It's like, it, I feel like <laughs> if Thor uh, struck Loki with lightning and he was like, oh, that's right, lightning. <laughs> God of th- that's right. <laughs> oh, you always have, always have been. Loki's mission now is destruction, to destroy Jotunheim, to destroy this reminder of who he used to be. He opens the Bifrost, places the casket upon it, aiming to freeze the world's tree, destroy the realm of the frost giant, and he tells Thor that he can't stop it. Why have you done this, Thor asks. To prove to father, Loki says, that I am the worthy son. So there's that word again, worthy. But while Mm -hmm. Thor has learned the true heart of that word, the idea, the thrust behind it, Loki knows nothing of the 
humility and selflessness required, at least not yet. He wants gratitude. He wants applause, like you mentioned earlier. He, he's, he's in the scene with Tywin, and Tywin says to him, jugglers and singers require applause. That's how this plays yeah. out for Loki here. Yeah. But he misunderstands not only his own path, but Odin's intention. Odin didn't want to destroy the Odins. He doesn't even really want Loki to save him. He just wanted to raise the sons yes. to grow into the kind of people who know what really matters, who know how to make good choices and help other people. You can't kill an entire race Thor tells Loki. And Loki's reply is honestly chilling. Why not, he says. That is when Loki is at his scariest. Not when he's unleashing his mischief and working his illusions, but when he is... I actually am incapable of saying the word illusions without just thinking of Arrested Development. Anyway, (laughs) when he is revealing the depths to which he's willing to go. He's not an unfeeling character. He's actually driven in many ways by his emotion, by his pain and his resentment. But that resentment, that bitterness, warps his purpose. I've changed, Thor tells him. So have I, Loki says, and he slashes his brother. I never wanted the throne. I only ever wanted to be your equal. We're back in the throes of some self-serious business here. I will not fight you, brother. I'm not your brother. I never was. But that isn't true. Brotherhood and family aren't determined by just blood, as Loki and Thor will prove to each other in the end. Loki, this is madness, Thor shouts. Is it madness? Is it? Is it? What if? And That's great. We have to, we must, listen, we've shouted it out once before. Let's oh do it God. again. Hiddleston's line readings in this are fascinating and it's insane. Phenomenal. I love all of them. It's so good. <laughs> Come on, what happened to you on earth to turn you soft? Don't tell me it was that woman. Oh, it was. Well, maybe <laughs> when we're finished here, I'd pay her a visit myself. And this oh, is a no. bridge Terrible. too far for us, for Thor, for the audience. It's very tough. Awful. He will, in fact, fight his brother, beating him with a bolt of lightning and a well-placed Mjolnir ribcage paperweight. <laughs> what a great uh, move by Thor, I by love the way. It. <laughs> that would really hurt. It would just be awful. Wouldn't we have a Blonsky situation here? Like your bones turning into gravel? Well, I wonder if it's heavy or just immovable. It's a little unclear. I will say that moment for me was, that's why these movies are kind of a cut above their competitors. Because it's not just punching and kicking and people getting thrown through buildings. The characters in, in MCU movies use their abilities in really interesting ways and ways that often combine synergistically with the people they're on a team with. I'm thinking of the times that, you know, Thor, after the Avengers, figures out that uh, he can hit Steve Rogers' shield and cause a shockwave and stuff like this. You know, just very creative ways of using their abilities and their weaponry. And this is just one really fun example. What is DC's version of that? Two characters saying the word Martha? Yeah, and just like kind of growling at each other. I don't let's I don't want to turn it into a DC versus Marvel, but to me that that's this is part of the reason why these movies are so fun. It's not just like punching and punching and punching and punching things over and over and over again. There's there's right. some real creativity in in the way the action plays out here. Yep. Um look at you, the mighty Thor with all your strength. And what good does it do you now, huh? Do you hear me, brother? There's nothing you can do. <laughs> and he, he knows that he must choose either 
cut off the pathway to Jane in order to save all of Earth and her, he summons Mjolnir and shatters the rainbow bridge. What are you doing? If you destroy the bridge, you'll never see her again. When did Loki suddenly care about that? Not even he, in the depths of his depravity, anticipated that Thor would have the guts to do Mm -hmm. something like this. Yes. But Thor makes it, and the power of the moment stirs Odin from his nap. His Odin nap. (laughs) Fresh and spry, with the pillow marks still on his cheek, he makes out with a quickness to save his sons as they hang off the edge of the now-shattered Rainbow Bridge. But Loki, shamed in his father's presence, Mm -hmm. lets go and slips away into a portal toward the Tesseract, toward, eventually, the Avengers. Smashing the Rainbow Bridge, quite an alarm clock there. But for Thor... All of this resolution, it doesn't quite feel like a moment of triumph. He knows that he did what he needed to, but he's he's full of longing. He's restless. He's lonely. He's no longer content to just sit at banquets with his friends, drinking and laughing. And after he exits one of these settings before everyone else, we see that Sif is pining for him, but Thor is pining for Jane, grieving for Loki. He mourns for his brother, Sif says, and he misses her, the mortal. Now, You know, again, it may seem maybe a little odd to mourn for Loki, given what Loki has done. But remember the line we mentioned earlier, what Thor will say in Infinity War, families can't be tough. He loves Loki. And indeed, they can be tough, as we see in the closing exchange between Odin and Thor. There is a way forward if you're committed to trying to find one. You'll be a wise king, Odin tells his son. There will never be a wiser king than you or a better father, Thor says. I have much to learn. I know that now. Someday, perhaps, I shall make you proud. You've already made me proud, Odin says. And through worth, through heart, through wisdom. All of which Thor will need now more than ever because the Bifrost is broken. So Earth is lost to us. He asks Heimdall. And Heimdall is in full creeper mode here. No. Full creeper mode. Good, good. <laughs> no, he says. There, there is always hope. Can you see her? Thor asks. Yes, Heimdall says. You know what this always makes me think of? The, <laughs> the Simpsons House of Horror, the Shining parody, where <laughs> we get that amazing line, don't be reading my mind between four and five. That's Willy time. I hope that yeah. Heimdall respects Jane's version of Willy time. Let Jane have Jane time. Don't just peep <laughs> at all hours of the day. I, do, I really rough. don't. It's very unsettling to know that Heimdall <laughs> is watching and listening at all times. <laughs> How is she? Thor asks Heimdall. And his answer nicely sets up the sequel to this movie, yes. but also priming us for why Jane, staunchly committed as she is, determined, will one day prove worthy of wielding the hammer herself. She searches for you, he says. Jason. Yes. Who proved wrong all who scoffed at the idea that a young podcaster could be one of the fiercest warriors this realm has ever known? I did. True, but I supported you, Jason. So (laughs) please gather the masters of the mystic arts. Head to the Sanctum Sanctorum of your choosing. Teach us everything we need to know about Sif and the Warriors 3 and throw in a little Nine Realms action for us while you're at it. Sif, the Warriors 3, and the Nine Realms. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby base Thor and his firmament 
on Norse mythology, but not all the characters in the God of Thunder's orbit are pulled from ancient folklore. Take the Warriors Three, Volstagg, Fondral, and Hogan the Grim. In a 1998 conversation between Stanley and Roy Thomas, Lee's successor as Marvel Comics editor-in-chief, Lee explains the inspiration behind the Warriors Three. Roy asks, I was always curious about those three buddies, Hogan, Fandral, and of course, the enormous Volstagg. Were those characters your idea or Jack's? That's one of those ideas that I could see either you or Jack making up. Stan, I made those up. I specifically remember that I did them because I wanted a Falstaff-type guy, a guy like Errol Flynn, and then I wanted a guy like Charles Bronson, who is dire and gloomy, riddled with angst. Those three were mine. Now, those three were mine should be taken with a grain of salt considering the collaborative process used in those days to generate story, the so-called Marvel method, which was very collaborative and improvisational, and the fact that the Jack Kirby estate later sued Disney and Marvel over rights to numerous characters created and co-created by Kirby. The lawsuit was settled in 2014 for an undisclosed amount. That said, one glance at the character's in question in their first appearance in 1965's Journey into Mystery Number 119, and the influence is crystal clear. That comic is totally worth checking out. For the Jack Kirby art alone, it is absolutely sumptuous. Journey into Mystery was an anthology series mainly dealing in horror, originally published by Atlas Comics and then by Atlas's successor, Marvel. Thor made his debut in 1962's Journey into Mystery number 83, also featuring the debut of Korg, a Rocky wow. friend from World War Hulk and later voiced by Taika Waititi and Thor Ragnarok. And the series swiftly transitioned into a showcase for the God of Thunder. By 1965, the comic featured two tales in each issue. The first, a superhero story set mainly in the human world starring Thor and his human alter ego, Dr. Blake, fighting supervillains and dealing with Loki's various schemes. And the second, under the banner Tales of Asgard, was a sci-fi fantasy mashup set mainly in the mythical realm of Asgard starring Thor and an ensemble cast of Asgardians, including Loki, Odin, Frigga, giants, elves, and many more. The first story in 119 was the last installment of a two-parter about Thor's battle with the Destroyer, an enchanted suit of armor which Odin sent to Earth to defend the human realm against evil. The mess was, of course, Loki's doing. Naturally. Every fucking time. And of course, and it's so interesting to see how this dynamic was there, even from the earliest days, the relationship was very complicated. Loki set these things in motion, but then he has second thoughts. He doesn't want his brother to actually get hurt, and he spends much of his time from Asgard trying and failing to fix things. In Gather Warriors, the second story under the Tales of Asgard banner, Thor is assembling a host for a mission into unknown territory to discover what power cracked Odin's sword. I see some new volunteers approaching even now, Thor says from the deck of his great Viking ship. Yes, Balder the Brave replies, I shall enter their names to the list. I believe they have been recruited by your co-captain, Loki. Now, the first is Hogan the Grim, so-called because he never smiles. Quote, Hogan, the silent, sinister mystery warrior. None can probe his innermost thoughts, reads a thought bubble from one of the characters as Hogan approaches. Following Hogan is Fandral the Dashing, twisting his blonde mustache. The one-eyed Crota, the duelist, and Magret, the schemer, are also there, neither of whom interest us. And then the final warrior does interest us. A brawl breaks out in the dock. 
Thor says, oh, what is this? He leaps down from the ship to break it up. Ah, I must have guessed, he says upon seeing a massive bearded bear of a man tossing three warriors around like dolls. One is riding on his neck like a rider on a massive horse. It is Volstag the Enormous, the blustering, boasting giant of a warrior, Thor says. And Volstag is fighting these guys, and he says, Have it, you puny scoundrel. Stand aside for Volstag. By my sword, there will be many a flattened head this day. Thor attaches a grappling hook to Volstag's belt, and as the crane haltingly lifts Volstag aboard, Volstag waving his feathered helm cries, I shall show these rabble how a true warrior fights. I shall be in the forefront of each attack. Death to the forces of evil. Victory to eternal Asgard. (laughs) And Thor thinks to himself, methinks you mostly wish a brief vacation from your wife and 15 offspring. Oh my God. Wow. It was was 1965. In a few richly illustrated (laughs) panels, Lee and Kirby established Volstagg's character and role within the Marvel Universe. Volstagg is comic relief, right? The funny big guy. As Lee admits, he's inspired by one of the earliest examples of comic relief in the English language, William Shakespeare's John Falstaff, the braggart, Bacchus-like, low-life, pub-dwelling, raconteur companion of Prince Hal, the future King Henry V. Both are depicted as jolly and big-bellied, like if Santa Claus carried a sword and loved to tell body tales. He's often shown using his sheer size as a weapon, sitting on foes, doing belly flops onto enemies, and so on. Now, Fandral the Dashing is our swashbuckler, a master swordsman with the look, the pencil mustache, and the Van Dyke beard, and fighting style of Errol Flynn or Douglas Fairbanks in one of their famous movies. You know, a swashbuckler. In Journey into Mystery number 122, a mutiny inspired by Loki, of course, Breaks out on the aforementioned ship. The Warriors three side with Thor. Fandral takes on a dozen fighters at one time with ease. And the narration reads, With the dazzling style of a master and the gay abandon of a carefree youth, Fandral fights like a true ally of Thor. Hogan the Grim, based per Lee on Charles Bronson, has a long drooping mustache and he wears the fur-lined tunic and helmet of a warrior from the Eurasian steppes. As his appellation suggests, Hogan is you know, not really a cheerful guy. He's a man of few words and even fewer facial expressions. He is very, very, very rarely depicted doing anything but just grimacing. (laughs) Very dour. His weapon of choice is a spiked mace, which he wields with savage, ferocious energy. Now, over the years, there have been a few times when he can be seen smiling, and the effect is really great. You just never forget it when you see him smile. Uh, my personal favorite is New Mutant Special Edition number one from 1985, in which the young mutant Sunspot, who has been transported to Asgard by chicanery, again involving Loki, in a feat <laughs> of super straight, he's been hanging out in a bar, right? And he has found out that, you know, he derives his super strength from the sun. And I guess the Asgardian sun is just a lot stronger. So now he's a lot stronger here in Asgard and he's been hanging out in this pub and just beating guys up for fun. The Warriors three show up because they've heard there's this little guy from Midgard, perhaps, who's just beating everyone up and he's stronger than everybody. And Volstagg is like, I got to see this. They show up. Volstagg challenges Sunspot to lift him while he sits in a chair. This Sunspot manages to do, but he also tears his 
insides up. Like, he he gets really hurt by doing this. And in amazement, Fandral and Hogan look on Hogan the Grim with a hint of a smile etched across his face. Really great moment. What about Lady Sif? Lady Sif is a fierce warrior, defender of Asgard, a shield maiden, and a favorite of Odin. He's got a very warm spot in his heart for her. Unlike other Asgardians, Sif has been shown to have the power to teleport. Now, this hasn't really been used in recent years, but she used to be able to do this. As Thor puts it in Thor 139, thou hast the power to reach Asgard, to bypass space and time. She is based on the Norse goddess Sif, who in the myths is sometimes presented as Thor's wife. In the comics, Sif has often been depicted as having an unrequited crush on Thor, although at other times he seems quite to fancy her as well. And being generally confused by Thor's attraction to the human Jane Foster. She just doesn't get it. What, the human from Midgard? Why? Your grace. Your grace. He was interested. (laughs) (laughs) During Walt Simonson's legendary Mm. Thor run, Sif became involved with the alien hero Beta Ray Bill, whose nobility allowed him to shockingly lift the hammer of Thor and claim the power of thunder for himself. Now, every Asgardian is basically a superhuman. So when... When Doctor Strange opened those portals for the final battle at the end of Endgame and all the Asgardians who were hanging out in Norway poured out, realized they they just pulled like 300 superhumans like into the fray. Each can lift, just a normal Asgardian could lift something like 30 tons and up. They're not quite immortal, but their lives are so long that it's functionally that's what they are. And all that time being alive allows them to accrue hundreds, thousands of years of expertise in a given field, making them excellent warriors. Their dense bones and musculature provide a heightened resilience against attack, though blades and bullets can harm them. And of course, they have heightened stamina, speed, and agility. Let's talk briefly about the Nine Realms. In the comics, there are actually 10 realms now. This is a recent development. I'll get to that in a second. First, let's deal with the standard nine as they appear in this film. Alfheim, Asgard, Vanaheim, Jotunheim, Nidavellir, Svarthelheim, Niflheim, Muspelheim, Midgard, aka Earth, and Anaheim. No, sorry. All of these (laughs) inhabit Idrasil, the world tree. Now, let's go through them. Alfheim is the home of the peaceful light elves. Asgard, as we've seen, home of the Asgardians, seed of power of King Odin, the Allfather. Vanaheim. Now, Vanaheim is another new one. This came into, I think the first mention of Vanaheim is like 1985 or something. I might be wrong about that. Vanaheim, a more recent creation, was once considered part of Asgard. And it's kind of, uh, you could consider it where the old gods got their start. Odin's grandfather, Buri, is from Vanaheim. And the Asgardians who live there are known as the Vanir. Bor, Odin's father, and Odin himself are responsible for founding the race of Asgardians who inhabit Asgard, known as the Aesir. Jotunheim, as we saw in this movie, is the realm of the Frost Giants. Nidavellir, mm. home to the dwarves, experts at metalworking. And of course, it was the dwarves who, at Odin's request, forged the great hammer Mjolnir. Midgard, home of the humans, Jane Foster, and all of us. Svartalheim, home of the Dark Elves and the evil Malekith. Muspelheim is just a bad place. That's home of the fire demons and their ruler, Surtur. We'll get there when we get to Thor Ragnarok. Niflheim, this is where if you died 
in a dishonorable fashion, you will go. This is the dis- realm of the dishonored dead. It is cold. It is rainy. It sucks. Part of Niflheim is the queendom of hell, of course, ruled by Hela. Now, I mentioned there are 10 realms, not counting Anaheim, the realm of Otani. As of 2013's <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, Number 7, the realms now include heaven, the realm of the angels. And there you have it. Wow. Anaheim, also the realm of the angels. <laughs> oh, they should have just called it Anaheim. That would have been great. It's a very natural... <laughs> Thor, Mike Trout, swing the hammer comps. Yeah. It's not. It's really not that hard. Never rains. Nice storm breaker pun right there for you. You know, beautiful. Mal, what was that? That nugget was delicious. I want another. Well, you could have just said so. Now that you have, let's collect six of our favorite insights and observations from this film, like so many Infinity Stones or Norn Stones. You go first. Number one, Donald Blake. The name tag the Jeep. (laughs) The name tag that Jane pulls off the t-shirt that Thor borrows from her is more than just an obviously incredibly dirty piece of laundry. Like (laughs) just sitting there unwashed. Horrifying. (laughs) And also more than just a way to introduce some awkward, oh, my ex energy into the Jane Thor dynamic. It's one of the bigger comics Easter eggs in the movie, a nod to the human identity in which Odin encased a memory-wiped Thor upon sending him to Earth to live as a humility-learning mortal. And Jason, nothing says humility like attending med school at Harvard. (laughs) I'd like you to learn humility, son. You will go to an elite university and become a lowly doctor. (laughs) Remarkable. In he also 19- drives like he also drives like a Ferrari. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. or like whatever whatever the car is that uh, James Bond drove in those days. Oh. Doctor Donald Blake drives. Yeah. Well, a downgrade from flying through the air holding right. the handle of Mjolnir. To be fair, yes, it is. It really is. In 1962's Journey into Mystery number 83, Blake who walks with a cane due to a leg injury discovers a walking stick in Norway, more on Norway in a bit, that Odin has enchanted to conceal his hammer, Mjolnir. Thor's hammer unearthed, Thor is reborn, and in his original birthplace, no less, after years as Donnie B. But that is not the end of Big Don Blake. The god of thunder, enamored of humanity as we know him to be, decided to keep his human alias intact and switch back and forth between the personas until Papa Odin robbed him of that power. Blake eventually became an independent being, though the question of whether he previously was one remains a matter of some debate among fans, as comics canon has shifted over time from presenting Blake as a creation of Odin's to implying that Blake existed before Odin claimed him as a host. Regardless, Blake has entered the story again in the comics in what will be, at least when this episode airs, the fresh off the presses November 4th scheduled release of Thor number nine, which features Blake on the cover and teases the physician's return. Now, how long have the specifics of Donald Blake's arc been left in some sense unresolved? 
The logline for this new issue tells you all you need to know. (laughs) Quote, where has the good doctor been all this time? And what does his reappearance mean for the God of Thunder? Donny Cates and Nick Klein journey into a mystery left unsolved since 1962. (laughs) Sitting there waiting for this, whatever this means. (gasps) Wow. I can't wait. (laughs) Number two, the casket of ancient winters. One of the greatest indictments of the Frost Giants comes secondhand in Thor Ragnarok when Hela dismisses their prized casket by glancing at it for about a half a second as she makes her way through Odin's vault and derisively calls it weak. Oh, that's good. She sees what she's the Tesseract. And then moving on to gaze at other trinkets. So is she right? We see the casket's power many times in this film, most notably when Loki uses it to freeze the Bifrost in an attempt to obliterate his homeworld, Jotunheim. Loki, this guy gets away with stuff. I got to tell you. Oh, man. Something of he's a charming guy, but how many genocides, attempted genocides, do we have to put up with from this guy? Let's check in with Anakin Skywalker and <laughs> yeah. report back. <laughs> that homeworld is a chilly wasteland, and the Casket of Ancient Winters contains and channels a death-inducing version of those ancient winters. It's really all right there in the name, folks. <laughs> in the comics, the casket traces its roots back to Ymir, an ice giant, who debuted in Journey into Mystery 97 in 1963. The casket contains Fimblewinter, the great winter that precedes Ragnarok in Norse mythology, which generates the force of winter upon winter. It's white witch, hundred years winter stuff, the great winter that old Nan liked to talk about stuff and more. As is so often the case with potent and dangerous objects, the casket has fallen into many ill-intentioned hands. It eventually fell into the hands of our dude Malekith, who you know from our little ditty called Thor, the Dark World, and many Uh. comic stories over the years. And before that, the fire giant Surtur wielded it against Thor on Earth. That leads to some nice comics, movies, bookend harmony as the casket was destroyed in the MCU when Surtur annihilated Asgard in Ragnarok. We can rebuild... The foundations are still struck. Nope, the foundations are gone. <laughs> oh, you know, they say it's not a place, Jason. It's a people, so. I mean, it is. <laughs> it's going to have to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, the Destroyer. What is the Song of Ice without some fire, really? Yes. Enter the Destroyer. Introduced in 1965 in Journey into Mystery number 118, the Destroyer Destroyer is a magically animated suit of armor. Fuel for Coulson's genuinely funny joke that we mentioned earlier. Is that what a Stark's? I don't know. The guy never tells me anything. And so what became of all that might in the MCU? Well, after Thor thwarts the Destroyer here in this film in New Mexico, S.H.I.E.L.D. collects the remains, the evidence. And in the Avengers prelude, Fury's Big Week, we see that they eventually reworked the heap of metal and magic into an energy blast shooting prototype gun that they nicknamed Bambino and that Coulson then tries to use against Loki in the Avengers, leading, as we all know, to Loki stabbing him to death. He didn't know what it did. (laughs) Tough stuff. (laughs) Though, of course, as you've heard us mention, and as we will talk about more in our Avengers pod, that death proved impermanent. Number four, Odin's vault. What's in the vault? What's in the vault? (laughs) Here he 
we talked about the casket and the destroyer, but what other wondrous relics rested in Odin's vault before Surtur's flames claimed the royal palace and the rest of Asgard? The treasure room is guarded by the Einhar, and with good reason, it houses the objects that Odin believed could bring about Ragnarok, the thing that happened. Now, on the one hand, good thinking. On the other, uh, maybe we shouldn't have all this stuff together in one place. Yes. And that place is Asgard, the thing you want to protect yeah. it from. I this know. This is amazing to me. This is like if you were lactose intolerant and you took your lactate with a <laughs> with a cup of yogurt every day. Like, I, <laughs> what is Odin doing? It's not a good idea, but listen. Who's going to argue with Odin? He's the all-father. He doesn't listen. Anyway, we get a few choice peaks in the film, as noted in the walking Yelp review from Hela in Ragnarok, where we see an infinity gauntlet that Hela helped the ideas as fake. After the Battle of New York, the Tesseract was stored in the vault, and its presence in the palace is the primary reason why Sif and Volstagg took the Aether to the Collector instead of storing a second infinity stone at home as well. Loki, of course, secretly took the space stone containing Tesseract from the vault when fleeing Asgard, which we learn in Infinity War in the iconic, you really are the worst, brother, scene. Before it was destroyed, the vault also housed the warlock's eye, the tablet of life and time, and the tuning fork. And of course, two other items of immense power, the eternal flame and the crown of Surtur, the latter of which Thor deposited there early in Thor Ragnarok, and which, when combined with the Eternal Flame, brought about Ragnarok and destroyed Hela and Asgard along with her. Number five, Tunsberg, Norway. It tracks, of course, that Thor, a comic series that sprouted from Norse mythology, would incorporate some aspects of Scandinavian life. And Tunsberg, a village south of Oslo and the oldest town in Norway, appears in this film as the site of the Battle of Tunsberg in... 965 AD, in which the Frost Giants tried to plunge Earth into a debilitating winter, but were thwarted by those mortal-loving Asgardians. Now, if that town name, that location, feels familiar to you, beyond just Lofi's intentions on Earth, it should. It's the town in which Johann Schmidt discovered the Tesseract, which Odin, in classic Odin fashion here, had brought to Earth and left it in town for protection. Tempting to call this a miscalculation, but hey, it's not like things went super well once the Tesseract made it back to Asgard later on, so we'll let it go. In Captain America, the First Avenger, Schmidt finds the Tesseract in 1942, nestled in a village church behind a mural of the world tree, Idrisil, that we see Thor sketch out for Jane in her notebook. Later, the Asgardians who fled their realm's destruction settled in Tunsberg, renaming it, New Asgard, there, Valkyrie will rule in Thor's stead because he's off having a Chris Wars fight in space with Star-Lord. Other stuff to do. <laughs> Norway's connections to both the MCU and Thor's story in particular extend beyond even that. As we mentioned in our Iron Man 2 pod, one of the markings on the shield map that's visible in the Fury-Tony sequence appears to be centered on Norway, which could point to shield tracking Red Skull's Tesseract activity from way back when, or to the wider connection to the Asgardian culture. And that's not to mention Odin's retirement in Norway after breaking free of Loki's New York City imprisonment, or Jane's Coulson-assisted job relocation to Trumpso. And speaking of Coulson, there's a fair bit of Norwegian activity and agents of shield shouts to our berserker staff heads out there. And then, of course, there's ample Norway comics canon as well, including... This, 
Thor was born to Odin and Jord in a cave in Norway, the same cave as mentioned earlier, where he will later be reborn from Donald Blake back into Thor. Number six, Easter eggs, lightning round. There are many more Easter eggs and comic nods in this film among them. Eric's clear allusion to Bruce Banner when discussing the disappeared gamma ray expert that he used to know, thanks to his work as a theoretical astrophysicist. We, of course, get our requisite Stan Lee cameo, this time as a pickup driver trying and failing to pull Mjolnir from its crash site at the cost of the bed of his truck. A couple other notable comics figures appear, too, as Thor comics writer and film story writer J. Michael Straczynski appears in the, in the Mjolnir heave attempt sequence. And legendary comic scribe Walter Simonson also appears next to Sif at the banquet table. What a fucking legend he is. Truly, as an aside, maybe one of the greatest creative runs on a title of all time is Walter Simonson on Thor. Odin's legendary ravens, Hugin and Munin, also make their cameos. In the throne room, speaking of Odin, long before Thor loses his eye, we glimpse in this film the battle in which the Allfather loses his, albeit not the actual moment of the gouge. Odin is also briefly visible holding the Tesseract in the Book of Norse Myths that Eric thumbs through at the library. And speaking of the Tesseract, the stinger of this film directly sets up the events of the Avengers when Loki takes command of the object by controlling Dr. Eric Selvig. That stinger also features the first usage of the now ubiquitous this character will return in X film. The prior film stinger Iron Man 2 teased the events of this film and the location Puente Antiguo, New Mexico, which means Old Bridge, a fitting name given the fictional town's ties to the Bifrost and Asgard. In Thor, the town also features some nice comics and mythology nods on its billboards, including a journey into mystery mention and a home of the Vikings tout. Love it. Mal, I never wanted the throne. I only ever wanted to be your equal. But that's not the case for everyone, because this season we're debating the winner of every episode of Binge Mode Marvel. Whosoever holds this hammer, <laughs> if they be worthy, shall possess the power of binge. Today's debate, it's really going to be, it's, it's a family matter. It is. It's a family it matter. It's... Loki versus Odin the Allfather. But before we make our cases, we will quickly, quickly restate the ground rules. We are going to do a coin flip to determine who gets to argue first. Then we are each going to make our opening statements. 60 seconds apiece, crisp and efficient, the binge mode experience you know and love. <laughs> then we will each have 30 seconds for a rebuttal against the other person's winner's case. And then it'll be up to you. You'll vote on all of our social platforms and you will determine who is worthy of wielding Thor's hammer. Okay, coin flip time. Here we go. Googling coin flip. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, flipping. Jay, make the call. Tails. It is heads. Okay. So that means I get to choose, right? That's right. I'm going to let you go first this time. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Ready? Let's Ready? see. Let me get my stopwatch rolling. All right, you count me in, and then I'll start the clock. Three, two, one, go. Odin the Allfather had a longtime secret exposed, but it turned out great. Frigga is not mad at him. He taught his son Thor the lesson of humility mm -hmm. and the importance of humbleness. Mm -hmm. He came back. 
with the power of Thor, is now a rightful heir and a worthy heir to the throne. Loki, the god of lies, out of the picture, gone. And not only that, Odin got a good nap in. He got a great and restful sleep in. The realm and the kingdom is at peace. The succession is ready and set. Thor will be the heir. Everything is copacetic. Odin, today and forever, the winner. Wow. You didn't even need the full minute. Never what a good sign. What more did I say? Never a good sign. Time is up. <laughs> okay. I am ready to argue my case. Ready, set, go. Oh, wait. Hold on. Sorry. Oh, it's my right. God. Okay, do it again. This. Start up. This. I, I know. You got Vic more time. Fangio-esque go. mismanagement of the this, timeouts oh and the clocks. Don't do it. And- don't, don't do it. <laughs> All right. Ready? Yeah. Set. Go. Okay. Pop those peas, Loki, and pop that champagne because victory is yours, my sweet silver tongue. The god of mischief delivers absolutely everything in this film. He is the source of most of the drama, most of the intrigue, most of the high theater, most of the boldest fashion choices, which we can't underestimate. Now, do I condone lying, lying to family members? Do I condone leveraging family members for personal gain? Murdering the occasional family member? I do not. I do not. But is it madness, listeners? Is it? Is it madness to vote for Loki anyway? I don't know. All of those family members lied to him in some capacity, too. How about telling Loki who he is, Odin, all liar? Plus, I have to credit Loki for the grace and mastery with which he does these things. He is, as Thor says, a talented liar. And yet, he keeps getting away with it. He's so far ahead of everybody else he's dealing with. Loki brings a lot of heart, too, and I don't want to underestimate that. It's really just a tour de force from start to finish. He's integral to the plot. He's dramatic, dashing, daring, the most entertaining character in the movie by a mile. Man, I have to stop with my dramatic deliveries and just go for more information. 60 seconds, not enough, you know? Boy. I'm ready. Boy. Okay. You ready for your rebuttal? Yes. Okay. Three, two, one, go. It's not the first time that Mallory Rubin on this very podcast has been pro-genocide, and here we are again. (laughs) Loki, (laughs) lest us not forget, attempts to wipe out an entire world of people in this film. Doesn't succeed. The people, the people whose blood flows in his veins. This is the person we're talking about, Loki, the god of lies, who Mallory Rubin would like to promote as her winner of this podcast. Don't support it. Don't support genocide Time. yet again. Wow. Dirty politics from you today. <laughs> I did have a moment when I was okay. sketching sketching out the argument where I was like, boy, I do have a type, huh? Ben Solo, I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me know when you're ready. Ready, set, go. Listen, all I heard from you just now was that Loki was actually out there getting things done. A man of action. <laughs> it's... The all-father nap season, that's it. In an alternate history where this is a two-hour advertisement for a mattress, he could win. Other than that, absolutely not. The fate of his family in the Nine Realms is on the the line, and he just hits the trap door button, goes into the Odin sleep instead of facing challenges. (laughs) Head on, head on, okay? 
Everybody gets in on his watch because there is no watch. He's just snoozing. Loki is a man of action. Oh, snoozer! Can't win. Look at this ageism happening here on the. Oh, on people the of all ages stage. like naps. Come on, I love a nap. Now I am hundred years once, old. It's but. once every like mm. year. Yeah, conveniently timed. You caught him at you caught him at a bad time. You conveniently him at a timed. Moment. Yeah. Just ducking out on the job. I have no respect for that. Loki's managing <laughs> to work his way toward an infinity stone in this movie. What's Odin doing? Testing out his new Casper. That's what. He had everything in his throne room until who's stealing stuff. Listen. <laughs> it's his fault right, that he just... Yeah, we're, all right, all right, all right. We're, we can't, we're, <laughs> we're like Loki here. No respect for the rules. I know, I know. Okay, bitch heads, we've made our cases and now Mjolnir is in your hands. Head to at binge underscore on Twitter and Instagram and the Binge Mode group on Facebook to cast your vote on whether Loki or Odin is the worthy winner of Thor. Well, you better call it, friends, because we're starting to root for this pod. As are Isaac Lee, Steve Allman, and Zach Cram, our indispensable producers and researcher, remember... If you're looking for past seasons of Binge Mode, be it Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Star Wars, Weekly, any of them, all of them, they're available for you to listen to in full for free exclusively on Spotify. Someone tell Darcy. We hope you had as much fun as we did today that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the Quinjet, explore the rest of the story, and you'll join us again next time for our discussion of Captain America, the first Avenger. Cannot wait for that one. Until then, remember... We drank, we fought, we made our ancestors proud. Thor, Odin's son, my heir, my firstborn, so long. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>